0: This week I was thinking about a question that I get asked a lot, uh, and it's how do I decide what to include in my poems? And I think inherent in that question is the idea that, uh, especially in contemporary poetry, um, anything can go in uh, a poem, uh, poetry through its movements and schools and developments. Um, and widening has has allowed for the idea of what is poetic material to really, uh, well, widen. And, you know, and in my poems in particular, because of the things I've been using, like in this book, you know, using a lot of the mechanisms of my madness, such as dissociation, polyvocality, mood swings uh misremembering, um, you know, how how does that happen? How do I decide what goes in? And then, you know, that leads me back to last week's discussion um about, you know, the way our minds work and how we have very little control uh if we look at the neuroscience aspect of it of what our minds do. Um but you know if we I think two areas that We can certainly maybe make room for free will is, um, is what we put into our brains. In some circumstances, you know, a lot of things like the environment we're born in, our families, um, so a lot of our situations we can't really control, um, but in terms of media and art and, uh, and learning and all that, we can control, it seems like we can control a lot of that. And then on the reverse of that, um... I like to think in some ways we can control what comes out, and especially how we present what comes out. Um, So yeah. Um, And in my development as a person, in trying to manage my bipolar disorder, and also in trying to become um, a better artist, whatever the hell that means, um, I've been trying to be more mindful of what goes in my brain. um, And on the mental health aspect, that helps me control... Uh, or limit my, the intrusive thoughts I have, my mood episodes, my psychotic symptoms. Um, but then also controlling what goes in, um, if we think back to what I was talking about, or at the beginning of this whole endeavor of these poetry podcasts, um, I, I think often fondly of Jack Spicer's idea that um, writing poetry is like Martians coming in and rearranging the the furniture in your brain, um, and you know because we have all these memories and thoughts and images and sensorial things, and then the through consciousness and the poetic verve, something comes in and rearranges that, and thus we get a poem. Um, to simplify it, and yeah and so so then, if we're thinking of that, what we put in our minds as poets, control in some ways um, dictates what some of that furniture will be, um, and of course, creativity um, and imagination factor in as well. um so at the base level, um you know there's the idea of poetic influences, and you know for me. Uh, when I'm rereading these poems, I see the French Surrealist and the Dadaists all over this stuff. Um, especially with their fascination with uh, mental illness and um, alternate consciousnesses um, and free-flowing consciousness. Um, that's all over this. I was, uh, and then, of course, there's also my kind of all-time... Influences that I can't escape, um, the, the kind of bubbling humor of Kenneth Koch, the, um, tenacity of thought of Dean Young, the subtle, uh, empathy of Mary Ruffell, I think all that, I think, inevitably comes through in my poems. I was also, uh struck by how much uh two poets who i've been getting to know well uh whose work i've been getting to know well ada limone and maybe bruce and Bruges. i don't ever know if i pronounce that right um but both of those poets over the last couple of years have been uh i've been reading their books and getting to know their work and that has really changed uh a lot of how i approach as well i think with uh Limon, uh there's a there is a sense of observation and a kind of uh disjointed way of storytelling and then um I think with Bruce and Bruce's work, there's like a there's a real sense of energy and of tapping into an energy and uh bearing witness to an energy of what of how it feels to be alive um yeah, and so. I think that inevitably comes out in this work. Um, Yeah, but, you know, like, uh, you know, but then there's also the contents of life. And like I mentioned earlier, in a lot of ways, we can't control that. Um, What can, you know, a lot of my childhood experiences or my family experiences, or even in some ways, my relationships and my obsessions, those are things that just, kind of in a lot of ways organically happen in life um and in those moments it's for me it's been about uh this mindfulness idea of what so these bubbly thoughts about childhood these uh you know uh traumatic memories or these uh you know these big obsessions or whatever come up um with poetic practice and what we give attention to uh yeah you know but like I said with my bipolar using the bipolar mechanisms um in these in these poems it gets skewed a little right and a big thing about that I think is misremembering I think um I'm always been a little blurry-brained and thus I think these poems are very blurry-brained uh and I and I think in my attempts um and that it comes back to the importance of editing, so I've made a distinction in this conversation these conversations I've been having with myself um between uh writing and editing, so writing is very free flow for me is very uh everything goes in, and then editing is where it gets a shape hopefully towards an experience of an experience or maybe an experience of an experience of an experience of an experience of an experience um in this way. And in, in that attempt, I think it's it's in order to honor, instead of shame, that blurry brainness. To honor, instead of shame, those sorts of misremembrances um, and that skewing of the contents of life. Uh, yeah, so, without further ado, pa- uh, palm time, let's uh, do a quick little... Rundowns of each poem. First poem's called Tristan Comes to Our Supper. It's, as far as I remember, it's the oldest poem in the book. I wrote it in, Lord, 2016, maybe? Um, At a poetry festival called Poetry at Round Top in Round Top, Texas. um, In a workshop hosted by Rosemary Katakalos. Um... And she had she gave us all these different um, poems in other languages, and asked us to grab one that, in a language we didn't know, um, and I don't even remember what I grabbed, but and then we had to translate it without any sort of resources, but just our minds. So looking at the way the lines were shaped and the and however we wanted to approach it, and so that poem came out of that exercise. Um and then you'll notice there's a um there's an obsession with brains and skeletons and skulls um in this book but especially in this section and this next poem whatever wicked one welded i think really started that experience i uh from some things i learned about the brain and all that um and then somehow also um a misremembered teen story of my best friends um my best friend's uh brother having a major uh brain trauma injury yeah and then um the next poem i think is really interesting because for i'm doing air quotes here but the poem is the most true poem of in the most uh, properly remembered poem in some ways except the ending um is very much not true um and again air quotes but it's about my uncle uh ricky's passing and how that changed my understanding of being alive um you know again this is where that idea of what get what gets in and everything's allowed in a poem so through this uh, this interest in what's inside the body this brain and the skull and the skeleton um, also gets, they also get intertwined with stories I was told. So this was some story, this gets intertwined with some stories told about a friend's father dying. Uh, yeah. And speaking of, uh, dying, um, this, the next poem is called My Triple Pain Skull Fumbles What's Claimed Obvious. And it's about, um, the last argument I had with my grandfather before he died, um luckily we got to uh reconcile that before he passed um but that memory still haunts me in some ways and this poem is trying to uh, exercise that memory um and then the last poem of the group is called at the breakfast table and it might be one of my favorites if we're talking in those senses uh, in the book and um my friend jess Uh, inspired this poem. She often, will when she thinks of funny phrases and things, she'll send them to me and ask me, um, to write a poem for it. And this was one of those. I think she told me something about, we came up with the phrase, Mrs. Butterworth's Garden. Um, and, yeah, so that stemmed from this. Again, something someone put in my brain and, uh saying yes to it right uh and that's where we're going that's what i'm hoping to do in in poetry is yes ending life and yes ending in poetry anyhow enough uh yapping from me thanks for being here here are some poems Tristan comes to our supper. I must not cry even if Tristan comes to our supper tonight, though might I tremble in insecurity, yes. Your tongue trembles, Tristan notes. Tristan never says I chew if an invitee sustains an allergic reaction to sardines. So I feel antsy, boiled as he is confident. But you and I will survive and babble Partnered like this. My tongue traces history through the circus. One trembles if on the high wire. The aftermath of living at such rhetorical heights. Messy. And you know what they say. Thirst fires the light of the chest. For one more glimpse of the lion. Whatever Wicked one Welded. The skull proves it the skull proves it whatever wicked wand welded whatever wicked wand welded us loved us even if love for real it resembles some knot on the tree side the lumberjack says timber for himself and me this is a metaphor like your bird tattoo 22 separate bones join forces to protect my split tired brain and ryan's dumb brain and your scared brain and Ron's scarred brain, except one or nine of his pieces might be missing from that accident when he went fishing, and he leapt out of the boat for the book the first in two decades swiped from the husk of this town's library. He leapt right when a loose log puttered by. I feel chosen to hold on to this story my own decade later, his brother, my best friend, hugging that book tight as we both Leaned one ass cheek against my cold bumper The night we escaped high school How some surface a secret, a story It finds itself shared in the space where we separate And only one twentieth of one percent of the entire animal kingdom Gets such thorough protection Even though we all dare dive head first if pressured Sound first there was nothing and then there was sight sound rest of the senses you know it all changes the house releases a smell warmer than before uncle rick died more yankee candle and less inside the skin of his son's first deer his son's first deer fell but not before sending a signal like a lost boat Uncle Rick so cried that sound, perhaps in need to relieve a mountain of pain. Cut thumb in the morn's dressing, distraction from the drill in his head to relieve pressure. They gifted the circle of skull to me, little hard empty eye, the next fact faced. I have a skeleton inside myself, not dancing plastic on the porch in the late autumn. Yes, the logic went. If Uncle Rick, then so too I. I placed it in my mouth and never apologized. The skeleton you know is there. You harbor this impossible impulse to see the skeleton you know is there. No, not an x-ray, an MRI, it won't do. You need to hold it like a bent tree branch, but no, you cannot. You cannot construct an honest pro-con list. Your frustration is your discovery with this, keeping your skeleton in, upright, cased in flesh. You protect it from its own orange oblivion. Stephen claims his father died once. The whole family left the room, left him with her. The hospice nurse remained. But you see clearly, that hospice nurse re-entered the empty room, him dying, but not dead. She clicked, click, click the morphine button. He did it. Stephen's father left this world and ended in this poem, but only after she came out. The lovely assistant comes out of the box and voila, she is whole, which isn't to say you haven't tried. My triple pane skull fumbles what's claimed obvious. With a flick of the wrist, my grandfather shook the snow globe. My triple pane skull fumbles what's claimed obvious. The inability carried by my grandfather in separating cousin from I. Not in our looks or our lineage, but the deeds we do, the needs we undo. The twine around the newspaper, still fresh with ink pulled tight. I lose track of what was once resembled reindeer. You drink tea in the other room. My grandfather requests a blanket of no one. The vision of my mother set to turn her father into a fake gold watch. Her pile of nightgowns needs folds. You sit convinced I am a child of echoes, spiritually half petrified as I barrel forth into the field. Then later, I fall from the roof. To be frank, I'm not trustworthy either. In actuality, I shimmied the gutter, balanced my chin ever so a bit, and plummeted. I dreamt the stars fell down and shattered the pocket watch. I tore grief from the ghost's grasp, let my grandpa know he knows nothing. I returned to me, the snow done settled within my northern orb. At the breakfast table I'm surprised they still allow me At the breakfast table Last night I nearly torched a lampshade And thus a house My house, in fact How lucky to have my own home in this day and age Markets like they are Mornings I'm not often myself Not solidly formed Slacks for mouth Gaps in my head Today requires much attention. Today requires I stay positive when the temperature is negative. I learned much from Mrs. Butterworth. How to stand straight, quite tall. How to allow myself to be emptied to serve others. How to tan my own garden very well. For her, I suppose it's easy. The only life she's ever known. Plus, her garden is made of pancakes and waffles and butter. First, thank you for listening. Thank you to all my friends and family for the visits, phone calls, and correspondences for making sure I stayed alive to finish this manuscript, including... But certainly not limited to Zach Sadie and the Hunter Boys, Josh Cayley and Violet Lee, Jess Council and her crew, Jason Arnold, Steph Pappy and the Arnold Boys, Tracer Towner and family, Clark Moser, Darren Eaton, Marie Ponce de Leon, Paz Pardo, Enrique Lozano and Elias, Jonna Henry and Charlie Martin, Cody Van Buskirk and family. Larry Nutt, Dan Keelish, the Murray family, Jamie Crawford, the Avant family, Jesse Bearden, Matt Spencer, Judd Ferris, Tim and Christina Durr, Gia Murata, Eric Matson, Hannah Margolin, Lacey Patterson, Heather Collier and family, Eric Cloe, Lori Sauerborn, Brendan McLean, Melody and Marie Smith, Terry Ton, Morgan Jackman and family, the Tyner and Gobble families. Thank you to the artists that kept me churning during this process slash processing. State Champion, Dean Young, Mary Ruffell, Landon Caldwell, Anthony Ray Wright, Sarah Shook and the Disarmers, Pete Holmes, C.D. Wright, the Fleece Brothers, Maria Bamford, Abraham Smith, Ada Lamone, Francis Picabia, Bill Burr, Will Alexander, Ross Gay, D.A. Powell, Phoebe Bridgers, David Berman, In the Face of War, David Blaine, David Bazan, the creators of King of the Hill, May May and Bruges, Lucy Brock Broido, John Ashbery, Kenneth Koch, and Frank O'Hara. Thanks to the folks who gave me places to go to be both myself and someone else. The Elwood Disc Golf Enthusiasts, the Anderson Disc Golf Club, Power Barn, the Waking Up app, all the guests and friends of the Future Barn podcast, Bill Simmons and the Ringer Network, and the Windmill Tavern. Thanks to any mental health professional that has held my wobbly head, both figuratively and literally, over these past decades especially Ruby Joe Walker. Thank you to my ancestors for the guidance and the gifts, including most recently Fred Tyner and Tony Gobble and most historically significant Joanne Tyner and Ricky Gobble. Thank you also to my teachers for their guidance and their gifts, most recently Ram Dass and Sam Harris and most historically significant Todd McKinney, and Dean Young. Thank you to the most supportive and patient parents around, Jeff and Tammy Gobble, for accepting my many parts. Thank you to the light that's gone away, Diana Lynn Small, for the years of loving and the lessons of leaving. Thank you to the light that always stays, Jenny Bug, for being a badass dog.